Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's happening, man? I'm good. What's up, Sam? How you doing? Uh, fantastic, man. Super excited. We have a, a very special guest today. If you're not already familiar, get familiar with Mr. Clinton Sparks. Clinton is a uh, he's a multifaceted music entrepreneur. He's helped sell 75 million plus records. He's Grammy nominated as a producer. Um, he's a DJ. He's a marketing executive. I, I really enjoyed this episode because not only do we talk about how he was able to rise up as an actual kind of musician in the music industry and as a kind of a radio host and personality and DJ and, and tap into all these different realms and the kind of music production side, but um, also really love too. This man is a, is a true to form entrepreneur tapping into other realms beyond just the traditional music business and finding very unique ways to help leverage that the cultural influence that music has to grow big businesses. I, I think he's currently doing a fair amount in the esports space. He has his own brand that he's building, XSET, which is a gaming and lifestyle brand at the intersection of esports and hip hop. He also helped build FaZe Clan, which if you're not familiar, definitely dive in. But they're one of the top esports brands in what's honestly like one of the fastest growing industries in the world right now, the, the behemoth that is esports. So I think uh, he has tons of very, very potent, pers potent perspectives that have helped him rise not only in the music business, but really become this kind of uh, cross-industry entrepreneur. What do you think, Jordan? Yeah, man. I think one thing that I really like about this episode is just his energy. He had a really good energy to him. Uh, fairly intense, but not aggressive. You know what I mean? So, uh, the energy that you want to, you, you know, you know, you want to be in the same room with him. So definitely appreciate him for coming out. A couple of things that we talked about. Um, we talked about what taking no for an answer actually looks like, which I think is super, super valuable. I think in the music industry, taking no for an answer is said a lot, but we don't actually know what that means. And there's a difference between taking no for an answer or not taking no for an answer. Sorry, not taking no for an answer. And being a nuisance. And we get into that um, through a couple of his stories. We have some key key lessons in networking. Um, one of the, the biggest ones that I try to tell people um, outside of the podcast, on the podcast, whenever they come to me with things, whether that's problems or, or how, to, how to kind of excel in the industry is everything is a value exchange. Um, and we talk about that super in depth and what that looks like. Finally, we get to talk about his book, How to Win Big in the Music Business. It's available at winbiginmusic.com. And a lot of the stuff that we talk about today overlaps with the, with the information that people will learn in that book. So with the podcast, with How to Win Big in the Music Business at winbiginmusic.com, you know, people will have no short of information in order to figure out how to find their way in the music industry. And super glad that we got him on. Yeah, well, without any further ado, get familiar with Mr. Clinton Sparks. Clinton, what's happening, man? Welcome to the show. How are we doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for your concern on my well-being. How about yourself? That's fantastic, man. Thank you as well. Um, with that said, man, I wanted to just kind of, uh, you've accomplished a lot in a lot of different uh, kind of realms within the music industry, even, even beyond the music industry. So I think we'd love to really just kind of go back to the beginning of the story and just hear from your words, what you felt like your first big break was when you really felt personally like you had kind of like made a big debt, big step into the industry. Um, well, before I answer that question, I would just like to acknowledge Hype Williams' brother, Jordan, 
who's got the stu- the uh, setup for his new music video with the all white background in the white <laughs> attire. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, my first big break, man. You know, that's one of the questions I get asked a lot, and I don't really have like one thing that I consider like this was the thing that uh, kind of made me feel like I made it or I'm doing it because it's just been a series of, uh, I mean, I, I I wouldn't even be able to name how many things that I've done that have added to um, the results of my success. There's just way mm-hmm. too many things, too many sleepless nights, too much sacrifice, too many deals, too many uh, letdowns, too many wins, too many failures, too many mixtapes, too many records, too many, you know, studio sessions, Um, But I would say the first thing that got me on the legitimate path of uh, that I at least considered myself legitimate was um, when I got on the radio uh, for the first time. I had my own Mm -hmm. radio show. So that was when I was like, okay, because I already had a plan. When I started out, I had a plan from day one. Like I was already treating myself as a brand in 2000. I already had my brand's catchphrase, get familiar. Like I already had... you know, I already had, you know, I already knew what I wanted to do, where I was going to go, and how to get there. And radio was part of my plan. Uh, so when I finally got myself onto radio, I was like, "All right, I'm on the path to where I where I need to go to win big." Uh, and that, so I guess, I guess I would say, securing my own radio show would be my first um, step to the success that I have achieved and still continue to achieve. Securing, securing the the radio show and the way to secure in the bag, as they say. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean, I was I was I was podcasting in early two thousands before like right. anyone before it was even called podcasting. You know what right. I mean? So you know, I'm, or at least popularly called podcasting. Maybe somebody called it podcasting, but I certainly wasn't like, hey man, I want to podcast. You know what I mean? I was just, I just knew that like Apple had a place, and I was like, why wouldn't I? put my shows on Apple for people to hear it. That makes no sense. So I was doing that early on. Right. That kind of, that kind of goes to what Sam usually says in our episodes too, which is finding where there's underpriced attention, Mm -hmm. where people, where people aren't necessarily there yet. And where kind of getting on this technology early and being at the forefront of those changes kind of allows you to Mm -hmm. see around the corner of innovation and use that to, to, to move forward in your career. That's been my, my gift and my curse has been that concept. Exactly. Being, uh, being able to see what's coming next and forecast trends, uh, whether it was like me seeing early the EDM wave and then, you know, putting it together with hip hop or understanding how how to get hip hop into Hollywood uh, and then how to bring it to Las Vegas right. uh, or even how to intersect it now. Most recently over the past several years, I've been one of the leaders in intersecting music uh, and gaming. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that, I've always, you know, I'll say the biggest obstacle I've had throughout my career is convincing people of what's next and what they need to pay attention to. Right. Uh, Because, you know, a lot of people, they they like familiarity, especially the music business. The music business is always behind. I mean, that's how I broke Mm -hmm. in to the music business is because in 1999, um, I realized that, and the reason I knew what I'm about to say is because the radio DJ in my, on the big radio station where I lived uh, I used to hang out with him at the radio station. So I understood the mentality and the psychology of uh, radio and record labels and what they needed radio for and how radio pimps them out sometimes. So I was really understanding the dynamics of the music business by hanging out with him. 
Uh, and the reason I even hung out with that guy, the reason why I'm telling you this stuff for people that listen, I want people to understand different ways of entry points and right. some of the sacrifices you need to make. That's why sometimes I'll go off on a tangent because I want people to get the lessons and the value out of the story, right? So um, even how when I got on radio or was hanging out at the radio, how I even made that happen is I was I made myself a value a value prop to that DJ. Uh, I would produce like intros for him. I would get like when rappers come locally, I would go get drops for him. Like mm -hmm. I would do, I would do stuff to make him say, ah, oh, this dude's dope. He's like looking out for me and making all these things happen. Why would I not want him to be around? You know what I mean? So my reward was being able to be around and absorb and listen to how things operate and understand personalities within the music business. So when that happened, I hung out and I realized that the music industry didn't understand the internet. Right. Um, so I lied and said that I had a super cracking internet radio show uh, to record executives <laughs> uh, that that I befriended because of my my buddy who was on the radio. So when we would all go to lunch and stuff, I'd meet these record executives and we'd stay in contact. Like, hey man, I got the most cracking online radio show out of Boston. When you bring your artists to Boston to do promo runs, it would be a disservice to you and your artists if you didn't bring them to me. I'm the new wave and like. They were like, all right. So then I ended up being put on the promo list whenever they would bring artists to do promo runs through the Northeast region. And literally it was in my mom's basement. So I had Cameron, Eminem, Talib Kweli, Wu-Tang. Like everybody came to my common. Everybody would be at my mom's house uh, doing freestyles and interviews. And like, that's how I maintain relationships with all of those people today from when we met then. Right. 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 And some of that's and some of that's what uh you know Sam and I did when we started the podcast, right? Before we had super credibility. One thing that we did have was the URL musicbusinesspodcast.com. <laughs> so we were reaching out to people, we were like, this is the number one go-to podcast for right. your music industry insight, uh, right. before that insight even existed. So right. <laughs> you know well now now yeah. I'm doing the same thing without the lie. Now I'm doing and I don't mean to jump from 20 years ago to 20 years now, but I'm doing the same thing with Twitch. Like I because I'm in gaming, I understand how popular it is. It's got over 140 million users. I understand, you know, the the psychology and, and the culture and the landscape of gamers and how they listen to hip hop and how hip hop all game. And they've always been gamers. There's always, you know, gaming consoles and recording studios and tour buses and barbershops. And, and it was like, man, like, how does everybody not see like how clearly these, this relationship should be much more uh, committed? Um, so, yeah, so I got on Twitch and... I just reached this week. I started my my show on Twitch nine weeks ago, and I got over two point two million in audience now. Um, so you know I'm doing a really big uh, production deal with Twitch. Uh, I told them I was. I said, look, I'm here to be the Ryan Seacrest of Twitch. That's what I told them. I <laughs> right. said I'm going to just produce shows, bring on more content, bring on more talent. I'm going to be the number one guy on here that's going to help you guys really you know, uplift the, the entire company to be recognized for more than just streaming and gaming. That's super exciting. Can you tell us a little more about like the, the vision for the show? Cause I know that the programming landscape there is a bit competitive and obviously, uh, I mean, I think even just throughout your own career, like, um, I mean, just being able to stand out in competitive environments is the key. So what are you thinking? Uh, well, you know, I've been doing radio for almost 20 years. So even when I first started, uh, I had to figure out a way to stand out. When I started radio, everybody wanted to be Funkmaster Flex, right? And everybody wanted to drop bombs. Everybody wanted, you know what I mean? Da, 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 da. All loud. And they wanted to be like, they wanted to be cooler. They wanted to be just as cool, if not cooler than the artists that they were actually interviewing, right? Um, and I knew that. So I'm like, man, if I get on, like I'm a white dude from Boston and, and at a time where like, 
hip hop is black in New York, like predominantly, you know what I mean? And like, and it's like, they already hate Boston. You know what I'm saying? And like any white guy getting into hip hop is called Vanilla Ice or Eminem. So it was like, what can I do to stand out to, and be recognized to be dope and different? Uh, so when I started, I already knew my talent was dope. Like DJ, I already knew if I got on the radio, I was already going to murder and people were going to be like, that dude's dope. Um, but then I had to create like, what is my personality going to be? I can't just be like, you know, especially the rappers that don't know who I am. I'm just this white guy from Boston. Right. So it's like, I had to figure out something that would be, would put their guard down, would, um, would make them know I'm not trying to make a mockery of, of them or hip hop or their presence in the room. Right. Uh, so, so I had to like figure what that would be. And I, I thought to myself, and this is literally how I thought I was like, man, no, like regular, like, white kids in college or high school ever get to like ask rappers questions. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but we, but we all like hang out and say, man, what did Ghostface mean when he said this? Or, yo, that's crazy that so-and-so did it. And like, but it's so distant from, from, you know, like the white kid back then that it was like, I'm going to take on the persona of like, a white kid that doesn't know better. Right. <laughs> and I'm going to, and I'm going to ask questions that make you feel like, like if I, I could, if I wasn't white, I wouldn't be able to ask them. Cause they'd be like, man, what the fuck you asked me that shit for? Right. But, be, <laughs> but because like, like, like no, like funk flex couldn't ask Jay-Z, Hey bro, like when you're on a tour and like you're lonely and you're in a room doing nothing, like do you ever just watch adult feature films? You know what I mean? Like, but, but I could, you know what I mean? And like, and that's like, and that's like, those are the funny things that, you know, when you're hanging out with your friends, you say stupid shit with each other. Right. And like right. nobody that's like at a level of, of credibility on radio, who's already established could all of a sudden start asking dumbass questions like that. You know what I mean? So when I came on, my talent already certified me as being dope. Plus I was already killing it in the streets with my mixtapes. So when you came to see me, uh, on my radio shows or when I was on Shade 45 and stuff like that. Like, you already fucked with me, right? So then, like, <clears throat> if you didn't know me personally, you know, you're obviously going to talk to me for a couple minutes before we go on the air. I'm going to already joke with you. So you know when I go on the air, like, oh, this is just, this, this is who he is, right? So, like, and that's how I was able to build and stand out and excel on radio as a personality because I looked for, and the lesson in this is um, most people <clears throat> look at the best who's doing it so they can emulate them. Like, I want to be like Mike, right? So people like watch, oh, he's killing it. So I want to do exactly what he's doing so I can kill it like he's killing it. My mentality has always been like, okay, who's killing it? Let me look at them and see where they're fucking up, what they're not doing and what lanes are open that they're missing out on or whatever crumbs are falling off their table right. that I can pick up and snowball them. So <clears throat> that's kind of was my approach. Um, and it's still kind of my approach now, even as successful as I am, I still look at like, damn, how are they not seeing this? You know, and I'll, I'll grab that ball and run with something that somebody else is doing. So when people talk about competition, I don't ever really think about it because it doesn't exist because I'm not chasing what somebody else is doing and I'm not worried about someone trying to do what I'm doing because I know that I'm fucking dope. So if you're dope too, then dope. Let's be dope together. I'm not worried that right. I'm going to be less dope because you're dope. Let's be dope and do dope shit together. Yeah, right. yeah for sure. No, and I think that uh, that confidence in being able just to trust your own creative vision too is, uh, I'm sure, been just a big underlying factor. Whereas a lot of people might sometimes uh, not necessarily be able to 
go all in on what they personally believe in and let it get watered down by the beliefs of others. In that same vein, like when you think about the the most important skills in succeeding in the business of music, both as a musician, marketer, executive, I mean, like what are some of these traits that you feel um, you've either both nurtured in yourself or, or seen in other people um, that you feel really have enabled uh, like the level of success, not only in your career, but even just in, in collaborating with some of these other like t- uh, titans in music, if you will. What do I see in them, you're asking? What are certain skills that you feel have played a significant role in your development and the success in your career, as well as some other skills you may have observed from some other people um, that have been movers and shakers in the industry as well? Or, Um, you know. Not being a dick. Um, So that's really kind of the nucleus kind of in in caring about other people as much as you care about yourself, right? Um, So I've never approached anybody for a favor or a collaboration or anything in my career, unless there was something I could bring of equal or greater value to them. Uh, um, yeah, I think just, you know, do, you know, meaning what you say and saying what you mean, really, you know, the, the age old axiom of, of, of that, um, just being a man of your word and like, you know, somebody like a pit bull, for instance, like, you know, this is without obviously pointing out the hard work, right? Like that, that goes without saying, like being able to outwork other people. Um, and the other thing that I, I stood by too was like not taking no for an answer. I was almost, I even say it in my book, I was almost naive to the fact that I actually could potentially lose. Like I didn't, I didn't even look at it like, oh, what if this doesn't work? Like, I, I don't even have that mentality. It's like, this is what I plan to do. And I haven't ever set a goal in my entire life that I haven't achieved. And I think it's because of that mentality. But like I was going to say, people like Pitbull, um, one of the greatest guys ever because like he like built relationships with all the DJs, all the radio people, everybody that matters, but he did it with authenticity. Like he actually cares and he like pays attention to you and he listens to you and he talks to you. And like, man, that's why that dude's worth as much as he's worth and why he's still successful. He's Mr. Worldwide. Cause he was willing, he didn't think he was bigger or better than other people. He didn't think like, ah, oh, man, I ain't got time for that dude. Because guess what? He knew, just like another person, Little John, they knew that DJ right there may be an intern now, but he could be the program director four years from now at that radio station. And more often than not, that would happen. And now Pitbull and Little John and people like that will have relationships with the most important people in radio. So whenever they put out a record, it's just automatic going in rotation. That's my boy. You know what I'm saying? So it's really kind of just being a good human being, uh, doing good business. It's why, you know, 20 years later, I'm still... If I was stocked from when I started, I was steadily going like this my entire career. Right. And I can I can still call people and they answer my call because I've always done good business and I've never asked for ridiculous shit and I've never did anything whack. And I look at I would lose money before I would let my reputation uh get dented. It doesn't mean that much to me. What means more to me is, you know, doing good business and people when you say my name or people say my name like, oh, that's my boy. You know what I mean? Oh, I fuck with that dude. You right. know what I mean? Like right. that, that currency uh, holds more value to me than, you know, a $10,000, $20,000 check. Right. And that's important also. You, you mentioned a couple of things there. Uh, the first one being that you want to be respectful and nice to whoever you meet in the music industry because you never know where they'll be next. We get in a lot of industry. questions. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We get a lot of questions. Well, I think it, especially in the music industry, how entrepreneurial it is in terms of being an intern to an executive. That can happen like fairly quickly, I feel like. Um right. Or, of- or everyone's always is the same. Everyone's one hit record away. Right. Right. So somebody could be down and out for two years. They make one record. Boom. They're on top again. Now you're like, oh, let me reach out to that dude. 
He knows. He knows you didn't reach out for two years. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and people often ask us, um, how do they get into the room with these larger names, whether that be large executives or larger artists? And I always ask first if they've networked with their peers, because their peers are going to be the ones that end up the, la the larger names at some point. Right. Um, one thing that I've gotten from my mentors is, you know, they know the people that own labels now. They and and they get their artists to to work with them at this point, but they've known them for seven or eight years. What were those people doing seven or eight years ago? They were assistants. They were executive assistants. They were right. interns. They were right. people that, in the large scheme of things, didn't move the needle super a, a lot. And now right. seven or eight years later, everyone owns businesses and everyone's everyone knows each other, and it makes it, you know, there's there's it, it makes it seem like from the outside looking in that maybe all these people somehow met, and obviously a lot do meet after they get to that point of inflection in their career. But it's really important to, to network with the people that are on the same level as you, under you, above you, because people just switch around like so often. Right. So I think that's, uh, that's, that's just something that is really important because um, people always ask me if they need to be in a certain place or city or things like that. And, and there is some truth to that. But if there's also, you know, a network, you know, around you that you can uh, explore as well. Yeah, and I talk about that too. I feel like, you know, you'll always see artists or producers uh, or people say like, man, if I could only get to that dude, right. it's like, it's like one of the dudes at the top of the food chain. Right. And it's like, bro, there's ways to work your way there. I'll give an example for a producer, like a producer may be in him tapping out beats and imagining like we all do as producers. Oh, this would be killer for, you know, little Yachty. This would be killer if the Migos did it. This would be killer. And you hold on to it waiting and hoping to one day connect with the Migos so you can play them this record, right? Right. And and whether you're somebody that has no connection to them or you have, you know, somewhat of a connection to them or whatever, you're holding on to that beat. And, you know, there's got to be millions of songs, rest in peace, that uh, are sitting in, in producers' laptops and computers that never seen the light of day because they were waiting for that magic moment to connect with that artist or that big name artist to get that beat. And they're looking back like, damn, that would have been dope if so-and-so did this beat three years ago when I made it for them, right? Or somebody else puts out a record that sounds just like it, and now they're pissed off because they froze and didn't put it out, and they could have put that record out. And what I mean by that is, <clears throat> instead of worrying about just getting to that guy with this one beat, why don't you find other killer artists, which is plenty of them on the internet, right? find other artists and give them your beat. Now what's going to happen is that ra rapper is one, going to be grateful that you gave him a beat. Then he's going to put that record out. That's like a calling card for you and your production. Because right. if the beat is hot, people will be like, who did the beat though? You know what I'm saying? Plus, you can have that record to put that record out as well too with a rapper on it showcasing your beats. So like, it makes no sense. And by the there's an example I use on my book. It's like, someone says like, oh, I'm not going to pull out the, the Rolls Royce until I get invited to this billionaire mansion party. Well, you pulling out that Rolls Royce is the reason why you got invited to that billionaire mansion party. So if you're waiting to get the invite to pull out your best shit, then you may never get to that party. So, right. so if you're a producer or you're an artist and you're like trying to make this like strategic plan and wait for this like special moment in life to drop your record and no, just fucking create dope, put it out, create dope, right. put it out, create dope, put it out. I have a whole chapter in my book, which I know we'll talk about, but yep. it's called the dirt pile strategy. And what I mean by that is being consistent with your content. If, and the example I give is if you throw a little dirt on the ground, you know, people are going to walk over it, you know, outside. 
not on your white, not on your white rug in your house. But if you're outside, you throw some dirt on the ground, you walk over, you throw a little bit more, you don't even notice it. You walk, throw some more, you still might not see it. Throw a little bit more, now maybe you kicked a little dust. You're like, what was that? You throw a little bit more, now you stepped on it. You're like, what did I just step on? You put more, you put more, you put more, and never be, you trip over it. And that's like what it is with your content. If you keep putting shit out, eventually people are going to trip over it. And the people that you're trying to get to, will. it's not it's not that big of a community, man. Like if you're dope, like, and one A&R hears it, or one manager, or one artist, or one producer bigger than you that's like, yo, come do this record with me, or, or let me jump on that record, I can get it to Young Thug. Like, do that shit. But that guy will never hear about you if you're not putting shit out. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, one thing you said a little bit ago that I also want to circle back to, um, which I think a lot of people have a hard time doing, I know I had a hard time doing it, um, is not taking no for an answer. Um, what's the situation in your career where you explicitly were told no, where you kind of just kept pushing through and ended up uh, successful? Uh, so many times. But the one thing, piece of advice I will give to people that may listen to this or hear that theory, I just got hit with it yesterday on DM. Like, yo, you looking for artists? I'm like, oh, not right now. You know, da, da, da. It's like, well, I'm this, this, and that. It sends a long thing. And I'm just like, all right, cool, man. Best of luck, man. Hopefully I'll see you at the top, da, da, da. Then he just keeps going. He goes, I won't take no for an answer. And I'm like, at this point, you're aggravating somebody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like now the only answer you're going to get is no. Mm-hmm. I would have I remembered you a couple months from now if when you hit me and gave me this whole spiel and you caught my attention enough to respond, right? So now you should have just said, is it cool if I send you records when I drop them? And I would have said, yeah, send them over. And then after two, three, four, five, six videos or re- records, I may be in a position where I do want to help you, or I may hear something that's so fire, I want to put it on my radio station, or I send it to an A&R I know. Oh, yo, yo, this kid hit me like a few months ago. I didn't pay much attention, but he's been sending me records. This shit is hot. You know, you should check this out. You know what I mean? It's a lead. So I just wanted to give that lesson for someone that when I say what I'm about to say, that, you know, like, well, I'm just gonna, I know you said you didn't take no for an answer, so I'm hitting you on DM <laughs> telling you I ain't gonna take no, right? So, so it's, it's not like, it's not like I didn't take no for an answer and then became a nuisance to somebody. When, when somebody became, said no, I figured out how to get them to say yes. And by figuring out how to get someone to say yes, isn't to keep like trying to knock down a, a brick wall with snowballs, like just hitting that, coming at them with the same thing over and over and over again. Like inevitably they'd be like, yo, this dude's fucking driving me crazy. Don't let him come. You know what I mean? So now like you have to understand the, the the psychology around it all, right? So I'll give you my example. One of them is when I was young and I was first starting out and I was trying to get on uh, the big college radio station, Emerson, um, WERS 88.9 back in Boston when I was young was the place to hear hip hop in Boston because the major stations didn't play it, right? So I would go up there and bring my music to the DJs. And you know, the DJs at college are just like me and you, you know what I mean? It's like, walking into the studio and like uh, pop on the mic and start talking. So I'd wait for them outside and I'd be like, Hey man, this is who I am. Check out this record. So every week I'd bring them a record. Nah, I ain't feeling that. You know, how about this one? Nah, ain't feeling it. Nope. Yo, here's another one. Nah. Yo, I'm not sure if like your music fits my show. All right, man, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll try again. So now instead of, you know, by the way, what 99% of artists would do is either try to like, convince him to like it for some reason. Like all of a sudden change his fucking taste to like your song because you're going to convince him. Nah, bro, this is why it's hot. It's like, I don't, I still don't fucking like it. Right. Um, 
or the other the other half would now say, man, fuck Jordan. He didn't play my records. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or fuck mm-hmm. Sam. He's hating on my shit. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and like and that's what they would do. And that's a fucking whack approach. And that's not a winning mentality. What I did is I just kept going back and making records. So then what I did is I let me listen to his show more and see what gets him excited. What records he talks about that you can tell he really fucks with. So then like, he'd be like, oh man, this is one of my favorite records this week. And I was like, aha, now I know his taste. So then I went to the studio and I still kept it real what, what, what I wanted to make, but I would add an element or something that I know would now, you know, pique his interest. So I went back, played a record. Finally, he was like, yo, this shit is hot, bro. You ever play this tonight? This is crazy, right? Got him. Now guess what that did? That now made a relationship with him because he fucks at me. So like after a couple of weeks, now it now the stuff that I liked and I wanted to play, all of a sudden he would play because now he fucks with me. So like one of the things that you need to take into consideration is like, you know, focus on selling who you are before you're selling the product that you're selling. People buy into people. People buy into feelings. Like think about like how many times people say like, you know, that's a Drake vibe. You know what I'm saying? Like right. he sold you a feeling. Do you know what I'm saying? He sold you a vibe that so much so that when somebody else makes something sounding similar, they say, that sounds like a, a Drake vibe. Do you know what I'm saying? So when you can sell a feeling or you can sell like yourself, think how many artists that uh, maybe you didn't really care about their music, but then you met them and they were a cool ass dude. Now all of a sudden you like their music more for some reason. Right. You know, we were just talking about this on Clubhouse a couple days ago. And yeah. what we determined was we called it star quality when yeah. people are in a room and they attract your attention so much. You become a fan of that person before you even hear any music. So by the time you hear the music, you want them to win. That's exactly right. I, I use Cardi B as an example because I watched right. Cardi B on reality television before I heard any of her music. So by the time that she came around with the music, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And obviously there was a, a I looked at her with a, with a green attitude because I already appreciated her star quality and I knew what that looked like. It's like literally, you know, tying to what we spoke about a couple of days ago on our clubhouse panel. Right. And, you know, put here's a good analogy. Um, you know, if, say you see a girl that you like and she's attractive to you. And you're like, man, she's hot. Right. But then you meet her and she sucks. Right. So it's kind of the same thing with music. You might send me a record and that record's hot, but you suck. Like you're not a good dude. I don't want to hang out with you. Right. So like when I meet with people, I don't even want to hear your music. I want to hear you, right? right? Like the artists I manage now who I got our major publishing deal, a major record deal, we sat for three hours and I just talked to her about her. And then I was like, all right, cool. You're dope. If your music is half as dope as you are, then like I want to work with you. And if it's not, we can always make the music better. It's hard to make a person better. Do you know what right. I'm saying? So when, you know, I, then I listened to our music and I was like, yo, how did I find you? Like, this is crazy. Like your music is even just as dope as you. So, you know, it's something to take in consideration. I can't tell you throughout my career, how many shitheads have been in the music business and had like one hit or maybe two hits and then fell off. And I'll tell you why they fell off. Cause they're, they're assholes. You know what I mean? And like, it happens all the time, whether they're dicks to the label or they start feeling themselves or they're not, you know, reciprocating the love to the audience and taking them for granted or the people that worked hard at the label or even their own team or they start like showing up late for, 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 for meetings and interviews and just like blowing shit off and coming up late to shows and like 
showing up late to the studio and then just bringing fucking girls there and smoking and eating for four hours on my <laughs> dime before they start cutting a record. It's just like, right. yo, like you got to run, you're a business. If you're a rapper, a DJ, a producer, a singer, a dancer, A&R, manager, whatever you are, you're a fucking business, right? So conduct yourself right. as such, just like you're a Fortune 500 company. In the same way you would want people to respect and, and, and do shit good for you, the same way you want people to kiss your ass, do the same thing back to other people. And it's not a bad thing to kiss people's asses. Like, I'm nice. I love you guys. Like, even before we got on here, what did I do? I thank you guys like for having me on here and I, because I th I'm privileged and honored to be on your show. You know what I mean? Like, regardless if you had 10 listeners or 10 million listeners, the fact that you even cared enough to have me on your show and allow me to talk to people and share, like, I value that. And that's what I think a lot of people don't value. Like I wake up every single day and this is just who I am as a human. I literally look out my bedroom window at my two acres and my waterfalls and my koi pond and my swimming pool, my jacuzzi and everything in my backyard. And I literally look, and by the way, I wasn't saying that as a subtle bar. I was saying that to get to my point is that I look out there every day and I'm like, thank you. Because I was born in a fucking shit pile and I had to dig myself out of that. I was broke. We had roaches. We had floods. I was sexually molested for, for many years. I was bullied. I was beat up. Like I was homeless at a point. And it's like, again, and I'm not also saying that either to get sympathy. I'm saying that like everybody has fucking problems, man. Everybody goes through bullshit. Everybody has trauma. Everybody has things they got to deal with. Who cares about your fucking excuses? If you want to win, make those your excuses to win. Don't make them for the excuses why you can't do something. Like I could have easily been like, yo, that DJ's hating on me and just ran around town talking shit about that DJ because he didn't play my records. I probably wouldn't fucking be here today. Damn. Right. Bars. We need just a moment of silence because that's, uh, I really, <laughs> really appreciate no, all that. And I think too, I mean, I think it's like, <laughs> is that, it's that energy and it almost ties back to the other, like what you mentioned in the beginning too, just the confidence, create dope, put it out, create dope, put it out, be unapologetically yourself. Let that, confidence shine through i mean obviously there's a lot of different like intangibles and other kind of like nuances to the approach but i think i get like, scared to that stay raw power that was that we just felt yeah. right there i think is honestly a major factor at the core of the success well i get scared to say things like just believe in yourself and don't take no and go because most people do not have self-awareness right or emotional intelligence or you know they don't have these things uh you know intuition on uh okay i said enough you know what I mean? Or like, or even like, it's kind of the theory when you have the whole room laughing, leave. You know what I mean? It's like, stop trying to outdo the best joke that you already did and the whole room's on the floor laughing because it's mm -hmm. only downhill from there. Do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. leave on a high That's note. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Leave on a high note. Even when I first started as, a, as a, a rapper and a dancer and a performer, like I've opened for Usher and Busta Rhymes and Missy and all these when I was a kid. And it's like, I knew that this audience wouldn't know who I was and wouldn't care. So I had to make the shortest, most concise, killer fucking show that people would be like, man, I don't know who that opening act was, but damn, they might've been doper than fucking Busta. You know what I mean? And like, people don't do that. Like, especially rappers, they just walk around and they think, they watch what other people do that are successful. And they think, oh, let me just go on stage with a bunch of my boys, hold my dick. You don't even know which dude's the rapper because we all fucking look the same. And I got 17 hype guys and I didn't really put much into my show. I just showed up, had my DJ play the record and I rapped over my record. You know what I mean? That's just one example of like really taking pride in your job and your business. And you're, you're a businessman. And like, that's what, 
you know, just like Jay-Z said, man, I'm not a businessman, I'm a business man. And it's like, mm-hmm. you are. And the, the faster you realize this, the better you'll conduct yourself. And don't act like you know more than you do know. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know this. Can you give me the answer? To ask right. questions. That's another thing is I think a lot of people, especially in hip hop, like, here's what I realize: When they don't understand something, they're just like, nah, B, I ain't into it. And it's like, you just passed up on a life-changing fucking opportunity because you weren't smart enough to say, I don't understand this. Can you explain it or elaborate to me more? I watched mm-hmm. people miss so many opportunities and they would rather go get the $10,000 bag to show up at a club than to go get the half a million dollar, you know, personal equity investment in doing this work for this company that's on the rise. And if you did a little bit of due diligence and listened in a year, you'd make a hundred times more than what you would have made to go into that club. You know, mm-hmm. that's getting into a whole nother thing about understanding business and investing yourself. But like, the point being is just know that you're a business and you're a brand and conduct yourself accordingly. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, in that realm though, I mean, you did kind of allude and I think it's interesting because you've been at the forefront and are working with a handful of other businesses, some that are tangentially related to music, but some that might at face value not seem as if they're necessarily music businesses per se. Um, so when you think about that, like what has kind of... Um, drawn you to the different ventures and as you even kind of bring up that example for artists like how are you going about evaluating and, and manifesting different opportunities outside of just the the core traditional like uh like music like masters and, and music model so i'll tell you where because I, I didn't always know that so when i first when i was a kid and i got offered to be an opening act for a boy band uh, uh to go on tour so and i was like man, I'm a hip hop dude, man. Like, why would I go? That's a waste of my time. Why would I do that? So they had two shows in Massachusetts where I lived. Um, and they're like, can you come do these two shows? So I was like, man, I'll just do these two shows, whatever. When I went and did that show, those two shows, you would have thought I was a Backstreet Boy because it was like, girls would like fucking pay, wanted to pay to buy my sweaty sock, right? So <laughs> that it opened up my eyes like, oh shit, I'm hip hop. And if I go to these things, I'm bringing hip hop to these things. So then, so that was that. So then I'd make mixtapes and I'd be giving out hip hop mixtapes to people that otherwise wouldn't be listening to hip hop, right? And then my second, uh, my big realization that opened the doors to, uh, holy shit, I can really build other businesses that are go in line with what matters to me, which is hip hop and music, is when I became a host on E! News uh, with Ryan Seacrest and those guys. Uh, when I first, I remember I got the call and they were like, hey, man, would you want to be on our network from Ben Lyons? Would you want to be on our network and like talk music? And I was like, huh, what do you mean? He's like, you know, like how I talk about movies, but you'd come on and talk about music. And I was like, E, like Britney Spears, Paris Hilton E? And because at the time, like that's all it was, right? Uh-huh. So he was like, yeah, man, it would be cool. And I was like, sure, I'll, I'll try it. But in my mind, I'm thinking that's so not in line with me being like, you know, a Kraken mixtape DJ, a radio DJ. At this point, I'm literally on tour with Diddy as his DJ. And I'm like, it makes no sense, right? So I went out there and I did it. And then I realized, yo, I can literally be the conduit from the streets to Hollywood. So like prior to me, like there was never a Little John and a Pharrell and a Quelly and like Clips and all these people like on E until I got there. So then when I'm out there, I become kind of like the new cool kid in school. 
right? So when I'm out there, now I'm DJing parties out there and I'm DJing way different than they're used to because I got a very in-your-face, East Coast, on-the-mic style. So when I go in the club there, it was like, they were like, holy shit, what is this? So I kind of became everybody's favorite DJ out here. Like all the celebrities uh, that mattered would come to the parties. So then I started realizing, this is when I really had a big realization. I'm like, I know 50 Cent. And I know that he would think it's fucking cool to hang out with Paris Hilton. I now know Paris Hilton. And I know that she thinks it's dangerously cool to hang out with a 50 Cent. But none of them know that about each other. And none of them know how to get in contact with each other because this is pre-social you know, social media. So I'm the bridge to all of these people. So I start connecting everybody and putting Fallout Boy with Ludacris. And then I end up, um, you know, I'm, I'm at E and it's like way too big of a long of a story. I'm trying to figure out how to make it short. Um, so then when I'm on E, I'm like, dude, why are you guys running around chasing people at parties to run on your network? Why don't we launch our own party where you have a global platform to promote your party where it becomes a destination party for people around the world that go to Vegas just to go to the E party. You know what I mean? Where we can now get our own content and invite celebrities. So uh, at the time, the chairman of, 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 it was Comcast at the time before it became NBC Universal. He was like, that's a great idea, Clinton. How do we do that? And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, uh, give me a week. So I got in touch with, uh, through Sal Masakela, I got in touch with, uh, uh, the president of the hard rock in Vegas, we pitched them the idea and I, I created the first ever hip hop party residency in Las Vegas in 08. And it lasted for three years and it was sold out every single Saturday night. And I would do things like bring everybody from like Neo to Tommy Lee to Paris Hilton's birthday party to, with Akon and then like Lady Gaga's first performance. But then like, then I'm playing Dipset and like, you know what I'm saying? So it was like kind of the first real a, a culture collision party on a global scale. Uh, I was the first DJ to have resident like billboards and on the sides of taxis in Las Vegas. Um, so, you know, that's to answer your question was that's what made me realize the power of my hip hop and how I can bring that. So everything I do, whether it even gaming now or whatever I'm doing, I'm always bringing hip hop into it. So I've, my whole career, I've been helping to amplify and expand hip hop's uh, tentacles to be touching and being in other places that maybe if it wasn't for me, maybe it wouldn't have got there or wouldn't have got there as fast. You know what I mean? So like, I, there's like some of the biggest celebrities, like even like the ditties and stuff like that in the world. Like I played big roles in like, yo, you should do this. Yo, we should do this. Or, or telling networks, like you should cover this. And like, you know, really kind of pulling everybody together, like making everybody pay attention to what everybody else is doing and pulling together um, you know, all these cultures. Yeah, no, I mean, I love that. And it's, it's really crazy too, just how much, uh, consumer culture is driven by music culture and right. a lot of the, the things that are kind of emerging within, uh, within music culture. Um, I mean, think that, about what would, what would life be without music? Like what would a wedding be a birthday be a graduation be like any celebration, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, without yeah. music, you know what I mean? Like music is life. And like mm -hmm. now hip hop is, the biggest music genre uh, that's ever owned this market share ever, even bigger than pop has ever owned. Hip hop owns more market share now in the history of music. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And I love too how you kind of just spoke around how these uh, various brands could strategically create cool cultural moments that benefit both sides. 
Um, in that same vein, kind of going back to something we spoke about earlier in the episode, this notion of like underpriced attention, right? And kind of seeing where things are going and how there's unique opportunities to maybe be there, like skate to where the puck is going, be there a little bit ahead of everybody else before it's too saturated, before it's too competitive. Um, you know, you're doing a lot of awesome work with FaZe Clan. And I think that kind of esports and gaming um, are obviously having a serious moment right now. Um, and I'm very interested from your perspective where you see the intersection or the, the continued convergence of kind of music and gaming and, and what opportunities there might be for musicians to tap into that world. Oh, tons. I mean, we're just scratching the surface and it's already an industry uh, that's, I think, made $180 billion in 2020. Um, the, the gaming industry generates more revenue than the music and movie industries combined. Um, so... I think there's plenty, plenty of things that that to uh, that will you know merge these two worlds together. I mean, I've been in gaming in the gaming industry professionally for almost four years now, starting with Phase Clan, and I brought the, from the first week I was there, I realized uh, what the, how this could be connected to music and how music is already connected to gaming. But you know, I like to say that music and gaming have been in a relationship for you know well over twenty years, but just never committed, right? Um, and, you know, I brought all the biggest artists into gaming as investors from Offset to Sway Lee, Pitbull, Yo Gotti, DJ Paul, Ray J, Troy Carter. Like, I'm the one that brought them all into this space as investors. Uh, and I've talked to everybody else in between from, you know, Swizz, Fat Joe, Snoop, everybody, and, and trying to get them familiar uh, with the growth trajectory of this industry. So, you know, I did it over at phase, um, which, which deemed to be super successful. I took that company from zero to a $300 million valuated company. Um, and then I resigned last July and started my own, as you can see in the back exit, get familiar, rep the set. Uh, so we started the, the fastest growing esports and gaming lifestyle brand in the world. Uh, and you know, we just signed Swaley. There's a bunch of other big, huge, huge, uh, announcements that we're going to be coming in the next six to eight weeks, uh, that will literally put us in the forefront of hip hop, uh, as far we'll be hip hop's gaming team, uh, with these relationships and these announcements that we're going to be making. Um, and that's all again, goes back to earlier when we were talking about, um, you know, doing the right thing and doing good by people, which then allows you to build a really powerful network, uh, that if you have the skill, you know how to effectively use that network, um, to, to, to mutually benefit both parties. Um, and that's what I've always done when I see opportunities, whether it's for Rick Ross or two chains or, you know, TI, whoever it is then I'm like, yo, I call them and I'm like, yo, right. here's, and by the way, you can't just call somebody with an idea or for an investment. You have to understand these people and what they need and what they want, uh, and what's going on in their life. One of the examples I give, um, is like when you're looking for, um, say you're looking for someone to, to, to date or be with, right? Uh, most people look at like things that attributes that are attractive to them, whether it's looks, it's smarts, it's sense of humor, it's, they got a good job, like whatever it is, you're always conscious about like, are they good for me? Do they have the things that I want them to have that'll make me happy? I rarely hear people ever do it backwards and mm -hmm. say, am I the right thing for them, mm -hmm. right? Like, do I... Do I fulfill all, all the buckets that they have for something that they're looking for? Uh, so, you know, that's used for in all types of relationships, even your personal relationship. But in relation to what I'm just saying, if I, I'm not going to go to a Rick Ross and be like, yo, bro, I got this incredible idea. You should invest. 
without like knowing where he was, where he is, where he's trying to go, what he's a part of right now, why he's not a part of certain things. Like, so then, you know, when I go to him and say, yo, here's, here's something you should get involved with. I'm going there with a whole rollout of why, what are all the benefits? How can this help your current objectives? What ancillary businesses can you build within this that I can help you? Uh, what are some things that, uh, if you connecting with this, you can then connect to some of the things that you're doing that can help amplify those. How does this help your music career? How does this help diversify your portfolio in connection to other things that you have going on? And that's my job to do the due diligence of the other things that he has going on, right? So um, that's that's how I approach things. Um, and that's how uh, I move forward with bringing music and gaming together or anything with music. Uh, that That's the approach that I take. Word. So... Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the through line between most of the stuff that you're saying on this episode in particular is always identify what the value value exchange is in in, in relationships or in, in situations mm-hmm. and try to um, solidify that with whoever you're speaking to. I mean, you, 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 you kind of mentioned it when you spoke on uh, you trying to be on the radio and you figuring out what the, the radio... Uh, presenter wanted. You just spoke about it just now with going to Rick Ross with an idea of, you know, investing in something. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize. And even I get a lot of DMs. um, I wish I could answer all of them about, you know, how to, how to, um, very specific things about their careers or lives or uh, large scale things. But um, what I tried to do, and, and partially the reason why Sam and I have this podcast, is that we're we're fervent networkers, and we and we we love meeting people and hearing their story. Yep. And we also thought of a way of how to exchange value with whoever we want to network with, because inviting somebody to a coffee is way less of a value exchange than inviting them to a podcast, hearing their story, and being able to put them on a platform. 100%. So I guess I guess like the through line that I want people to get, especially from this episode, is as early as you can identify that value exchange, and then and then go after it. You know, you know I have a quote in in my book, which you know we should probably plug it again. How to win big in the music business? I yeah, mean, that's this is- that's actually the um before 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 you actually continue out the the last question that we were going to ask is what do you feel are some of the most underrated or, or least recognized concepts you included in the book? Um. Well. You know, there's there's a there's a quote in my book. Well, there's a bunch, but I mean, the whole mm. thing is the whole thing. The whole thing is super dope. Like, if it, it, look how small it is, it just gets to the point. Right, it gets to the facts. This is everything that you need to know to to have the right mentality on how to win big. This doesn't tell you how to upload your song to Spotify. It tells you like how to network, how to build your audience, like all of the important. I'll get into that. But one of the things I wanted to say was uh, a, a part of my book. I say. Um, if you feel accomplished or triumphant or you feel like a winner because you're able to convince somebody to do something or invest in something that doesn't have tremendous value for them, that doesn't make you a great salesman. It makes you a con man. Right. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, one of the things that, you know, kind of one of the the, the principles I live by my, my whole life. And it kind of goes back to the Rick Ross thing I was just saying like what's what's in it for him well I'm gonna tell you all of these things uh, that's in it for you because I care enough about you and your business and your agenda and your objectives so that when I come to you which is why people listen to me because when I come in I, I I'm able to put their guard down by saying is this a problem is this one I basically get in their head and tell them how they're thinking 
And when they realize like, oh shit, this dude knows exactly like what I'm thinking about or what I care about or what's going on. Of course, you're going to listen to that person. They already get you without you having to tell them. Do you know what I'm saying? So right. some, some of the important things um, in this book um, that I think a lot of people suffer from, one in particular is um, famous doesn't make you great, but great can make you famous. And I think too many people are worrying about the overnight success because the internet lies, man. It just, it pumps you with this, you know, the, this fake, this fake uh, vision of overnight success. Let me show you how to make a million dollars in a week. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's not real. And then you got all these people out here that just want to flex and they just want to like wear bootleg clothes or flash Lambos and, 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 and have a million fake followers uh, just to, to look famous. And it's like, you're focusing on the wrong thing, man. Like if you think of the greatest people that have ever done it through the history of time, like Sam talked about, you know, going where the puck is like a great, like Wayne Gretzky or, or somebody like, you know, Beyonce or Michael Jordan or Michael, Michael Jackson. None of these people were focused on being famous. They were all focused on being fucking great at what they loved mm -hmm. doing. And then by being great at what they loved doing, not doing it just because it was cool or it was a quick way to make money, maybe. They did it because they were passionate about it. They became famous because they were great. So just like I talk about in the book, famous doesn't make you great, but great can make you famous. Another important chapter is um, the only thing worse than having no goals is having too many goals. Um, and that's another thing. I can't tell you how many times I, I run into somebody and they tell me, you know, nine different things that they're doing. I, yo, I'm a rapper, but then I also do this and, and I got this going on and I, and I sell, and I sell streams and packages and, and I, and I got a cannabis company and, and I'm working on a clothing line and I'm, and I'm da, da, da. It's like, I don't even know who the fuck you are or what I'm supposed <laughs> to be a fan of. You know right. what I mean? And it's like, and then, so, cause they're trying to do too many things and do the most because they feel like they got to be doing so much to look like an entrepreneur or look like a boss or a killer. And it's like, yo, just be killer at this one thing. And then those, everything can spawn from that. But when you're around here trying to act like you're doing all these things, you know, I, I can't, man, it's so frustrating. And then you go to their bio and, and then there's just a clusterfuck of what the fuck all over their bio. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not, you're like, what are you? Like, why, I'm out. Like, why would I follow this dude? I don't even know. So I think that's an important thing for young people coming up too, is to be very specific of who you are, what you are, why I should be a fan of you and what you have to offer. That goes for the music business and any business. But like, yeah, way, like literally 99% of the people that maybe I'll see their song or I'll hear it somewhere or I'll see a video suggested or my son plays something and I go and check them out. And it's like, man, I don't even, you're whack. Your business is whack. It goes back to realizing that you're a business and you're doing your business. You're running your business wrong. But I mean, I can keep going on, but I don't want to just read the whole book to you. <laughs> no, it's all good. We'll make sure it's plugged in the uh, the intro and outro as well. Mm -hmm. um, well, man, yo, we just want to appreciate you for for coming on to the podcast. Sam and I were having trouble what to how wh which questions to ask because we we had so many questions. So, it's funny. So, it's funny. I have so many answers. Yo, when I was writing this book, <laughs> this book could have been ten times thicker. The hardest part of writing this book was distilling it down to just kind of like bang, 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 bang. You know what I mean? Because every time I start writing, I'm thinking, all right, 10 different people are going to read it 10 different ways. So I have to address how each person's going to uh, perceive what I meant by saying that. And I started going down that rabbit hole. Like, now you may be thinking when I say this, blah, 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 blah. Or perhaps you're thinking this. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I can't do that. I had to just be right. very right down the middle. And one last thing I'll say too that's in here that I think 
um, is an important thing for people to do is a chapter in here called Mastering Art. And what that stands for is automatic resourceful thinking. Um, and when there's a problem, you know, a lot of people get hung up on the problem instead of just immediately thinking, what is the, 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 the resolution? And another thing too, is I think a lot of, is there anybody local that watches this show, like a local artist or somebody like where they feel like they're not near things that are popping. They don't have access uh, to industry executives or good clubs or good DJs or da da da. this is that. It's like, there is more resources around you that, that, than you even know. And you have to learn how to master art, automatic resourceful thinking. It could be the guy that works at the corner store's son lives in LA and his roommate is this producer. It could be your mom's friend she went to high school with knows this guy that, you know, you got to think past just like, oh man, I got to get in touch with these popular people on the internet. Like there's a bunch of people around you that you're not taking in consideration, you know, whether it's a promoter, a promoter for a club, right? Guess who that promoter for a club is going to know? He's going to know booking agents. He's going to know DJs. He's going to know artists and their managers who have, he has booked in the past. So become cool with people like that. And there's a lot more resources than, than you know, or that you're even considering that are right next to you, but you must master art. Awesome. And just like that, I think we'll end on that note. Wanna 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 thank you for coming out virtually. Uh hopefully right. we get to meet in person. I brought yeah. my own audience. Yeah, hit that. Yeah. <laughs> hit that get familiar one more time too. Yeah. People hear that. Good, 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 good. Yeah, there you go. Get familiar. You go. All right. <laughs> awesome, man. Hey, we, um, before I bounce, uh, my book's available for free, winbiginmusic.com, winbiginmusic.com. Get the book for free. Uh yeah, man. This, that's it. Just go to Winbit or at Clinton Sparks on all socials, at Clinton Sparks on all socials. I could go on for two more hours, guys. <laughs> yeah, we could too, man. We could too. All right, man. Thank you. You have a good one. Oh, thank you, man. Shout out to everybody that tunes in and gets familiar with this podcast, man. They're giving you guys a lot of games, so don't take it for granted. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate that, brother. Thank you. Yep. Peace. Go, 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 go. Get familiar. <laughs> hey! No, damn. That, that episode was fire, though, man. Jokes aside. Um, Man, you could just feel that 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 success energy, that big right. boom 2021. Um, Felt like Gary Vee or something. Yeah, like coupled, <laughs> coupled with just like potent tactical, like wisdom and approaches that have helped enable his success across industry. So I think uh, really loved it. Loved diving into the notion of underpriced attention, seeing where these kind of, uh, where attention is forming um, across different, like from a consumer's perspective. Now it's obviously happening a lot on the esports side. He was super early on when it came to, uh, I mean, even himself kind of in this podcast realm, if you will. Like, um, I think when we think about underpriced attention, I mean, like right now, it's really interesting to see what's happening with like organic content on TikTok as a creator and how viral you can go there right now or even like clubhouse being even right. a little more kind of underpriced um and how much like i've seen people that have amassed followings of hundreds of thousands literally hundreds of thousands of followers on on clubhouse uh that spills over into other socials so um but clinton hats off definitely encourage you guys to check out his book i think tons of gems in this week's episode so uh very curious to hear what you guys thought as well so don't hesitate to head us up on music business podcast on instagram what do you think jordan yeah man i think it was super awesome um i think the hardest part about this interview is that i wanted it to be longer you know like he said at the end of it we could have spoken for two to three hours and i think we could have done that easy he's got a lot of insight in a lot of different areas in the music industry we get into the the big nuggets that people can learn from but i think people will really be able to take some more uh, from his book and to check out his book, How to Wig Big in the Music Business, which is available at winbigandmusic.com. So definitely shout out to him and uh, looking forward to, to coming across 
him again and crossing paths with him in the music industry again so no doubts all right until next week y'all we appreciate each and every one of you guys thank you so much we out <laughs>